see that or be a part of that somehow. So uh, today we get to start the uh, the book of Acts, and I'm blessed to start us off. The Lord the Lord really touched me in this uh, in this study. I was telling Dave in the back, um, you know, I, I've taught it before. I read it before. I taught it to the younger kids years ago, or at least part of it years ago, and. And just is we're only going to do half of chapter one today. But again, it was just really neat to have that uh, have the Lord uh, just really show me more again uh, that that I didn't really see before, and so on and so forth. When the the very first time I read it and studied it and even taught it, you know, it's just really uh, it's a really big eye opener of the things of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of pastors, uh, with a lot of pastors, their favorite book is the book of Romans, right? And, uh, and one of mine as well, awesome book. And, and some, some of them say that Romans will revolutionize your church and Romans will revolution, revolutionize your life as well, uh, that, that particular book. And I absolutely agree with that, but uh, so will the book of Acts. From, from the way I've seen it as well. You, you can't build a house without a foundation. And uh, nor will it stand if, it, if it's not a strong foundation, which the book of Acts is. And so, is, uh, as Dave mentioned, you know, the, the book of Acts is like it was a journey, right? And man, was it a journey, I tell you. Uh, as we go through this book, you will see uh, all of the crazy things that had happened. Uh, the things that came up after the apostles started off and their tasks for the Lord. And I'm sure after people have read this, they'd probably think like, why anybody in their right mind, why would they even start a church? Why would they do what they did after what these guys went through? But there is always a happy ending to everything when the Lord's involved. Right. So but before they set out, the Lord had to empower them with the Holy Spirit. And before that, he was giving us the examples and the teachings through the Gospels which is what we've seen before the book of Acts here. And so, which led me to the title of this message. I call it the, the original blueprints of the church. And how that's what I'm kind of titling this message, is the original blueprints of the church and how simple they were. Uh, the original blueprints consisted of two things, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. That was it. That's what the two original blueprints consisted of in regards to when the church started in the book of Acts. And we're going to see that pretty much in chapter 1 and 2, where we're really going to see that. But what is neat is the, is the church spread over the years, and over time, I have been like really hearing a lot that's been going on in like places like India, uh, of all places. Uh, you never think that, the, uh, that that place would, uh, would be so strong in Christianity, but it really is. I've been blown away to hear the stories from people that have gone over there and from other pastors that, uh, that actually have churches over there, and, and Indian pastors as well, how strong they are in the Lord. And uh, there was a pastor who was invited to a church over there. Um, you're probably looking at the back screen here, and I'll get to that in just a minute of where that came from. Uh, there was a... a pastor that was invited to speak at a church over there and the pastor of that church told him he's just like look these people walk to church for miles and miles each week to come here so i don't want you to give some 30 45 minute message you know they walk here for miles to hear the word of god and and, and to fellowship with god and one another so I, you know, don't want to hear some some watered down thirty minute. Okay, I'll do my best, right? So it was funny. He says he probably he probably went on for an hour, and then as he started to walk away, he's he's standing there like this. Get back out there, <laughs> right? He went for an hour, and he and he just shakes his head. Nope, you are not done. You get back out there and keep going, right? I mean, he said that they walked for miles 
right? And how lucky we are here in the States. For, you know, when I look at the people there and, and what they're doing in order to get to church, it's really mind-blowing. And then afterwards, he said, which really which came to this, was, was he said that uh, some of the pastors he were talking to said they were bragging about the number of people in their churches, Oh, we have this many people in our churches, and we have this many ministries, and so on and so forth. And then another member of the church, who I think was one of the missionaries, comes and puts his arms around the two guys, and he says, Brothers, why don't we stop going to be a church out of the book of Numbers and start being a church out of the book of Acts? And, and to that led to complete silence between the two. And that's where I kind of put that up on the board, because I thought we were on the, uh, on the screen, because, man, that's exactly what it was when, in regards to the book of Acts. And so that always stuck in me, what, what was said, right? What was said to those, uh, to those guys stuck in me. It reminded me of quality over quantity. It always reminded me over quality over quantity. And uh, there was a, Mimi sent me something on her Facebook. It was a saying from an English evangelist named Leonard Ravenhill. Um, she sent it to me on my phone, and it was on her Facebook. I'll read it real quick to you. He said... Uh, I'd rather have 10 people that want God than 10,000 people who want to play church. I want to see the glory of God come so our young people don't have to be told to go to church. They desire to go. And that was it. And how true is that? That, that, that the desire to go is, is what's necessary. And uh, this, this gentleman here went to be with the Lord in 1994. So he'd been an, uh, an evangelist for many, many years. Short and sweet what he said. So I, I pray for the continual, uh, for the continual uh, growing of the Lord within our youth, within, our, within us and our ages. You know, no matter how old we are, how young we are, the growth never stops. Our relationship never stops. So I'd like to hope and think that through the book of Acts, we'll get to see just again, going back to the basics. You know, going back to, uh, to looking at the, how the original foundation was built in order to really build the house of God. So let's open up. I want to open up in prayer real quick. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, again. Just want to thank you for all here. Lord, may you just continue to bless us. May you show us, Lord. May we just be children, Lord, that again pleases you. May your Holy Spirit come amongst us, Lord, and may we just be filled with, with you and your Spirit, Lord, through all things. And may you complete in us all things missing in our lives and in our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, all right. So, here we have, right here in, in chapter 1, Christ is still with them for a little longer. I'm going to start us off in verse 1 through 3. He says, uh, Luke, this is the author, Luke. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to, about the kingdom of God. So that's, I'm going to stop right there. So at this time, we're seeing the book of Acts by Luke. And uh, he's writing to this guy by the name of Theophilus. Now, we don't really know who he was. There wasn't any background of the guy. A lot of uh, some church historians believe that this Theophilus guy was somebody that Luke used to be a slave to, possibly. That he was a personal physician to, because we know Luke was a physician. So a lot of, uh, according to church history, they were saying that Luke was possibly the personal physician of this particular guy. 
But I don't know much about him. The only thing I know about him that I like is his name, Theophilus, which means lover of God. That's what his name means in the Greek, lover of God. So what we know from the gospel was that Christ had died on the cross and then he had come back three days later and appeared to everyone right back in normal form, except for the holes in his hands and in the, and in the, uh, the, the wound on his side. As he had to prove to Thomas of who he was when Thomas was doubting that it can't be him. Right. As you look at him back into, into a perfect form after what he went through and he had to tell Thomas, go ahead and put your put your finger in the holes of my hands. And he did. And after that, Thomas decided to, oh, well, you are who you said you are. It wasn't enough that he was able to walk through the wall <laughs> after he did that. I don't know. I don't get how people do that. You know, I think if we seen somebody, if we seen him walk through the wall, that would have been it right there. But how stubborn people can be, you know, when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, the believing in the Lord. And so, again, Christ said, uh, now that I, uh, let's see here, I'm losing my place. What I love about the Lord, what I love about the Lord is while he was up on the cross, his last words were, it is finished. That was the last thing he said while he was up on the cross, that it is finished. And the mission was accomplished. That three, John 3.16 came to life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have ever, everlasting life. Right? And, that, and that's exactly what he, uh, what he did. Again, as Christ said, it was finished. It was. The main accomplishment was done, but he always seems to be the gift that keeps on giving. The Lord Jesus Christ. He did not stop there. Right? He returns and stays with them for 40 more days after he had risen. After his third day, he comes back and, he, and he's hanging out with them for another 40 days. And so with, with continual instructions and, and, and made himself known to many that he was back. And again, see, God knows the hearts of, of skeptic people. He knows the hearts and minds of skeptic people. And, and I love how he proves to the existence of Christ and to other people and how he did things. Uh, and, and I want to uh, I want to turn real quick. Turn with me to First Corinthians, chapter uh, 15. Paul gives an illustration here on the amount of people that actually witnessed uh, Christ after his, after his uh, coming back. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 11. It says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, uh, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. So, no, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but by the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. So what Paul made known here was that 500 people witnessed. You know, one should be enough, as I've said before. One should be enough, but it never is, is it? One account just doesn't seem to be enough for people, so... Here's 500 for you. 500 people witnessed the, the, the coming back of the Lord. And if the Lord allows us to witness something of his doing, that, that we really should rejoice. 
right? And because he chose us for something special. If we get to witness something, it, it, was, it was meant for us, and it was special. And, and man, how neat is that, right? That, that we were chosen for, for something like that, to actually see. So he, he, wants us, he wants to use people as he sees fit, and that's what the church is a, is a part of, of many different talents and gifts. But we're all together, what we are is, is witnesses of them. We might all have different gifts, but there is one thing we can share in common, is, and it is, it is that of a witness, right? I, I really encourage, uh, uh, as I mentioned again, Romans revolutioning the church or someone's life, to read Romans chapter 12. Uh, and Paul, man, gave just a, a wonderful illustration of the body of Christ and, and, and the talents and the abilities that he gave to the people. He first gave the illustration of, of how we should be first in being pure in our minds and our bodies and, and so on and so forth. And then after that, he gives us the, uh, the, the run-through of each person's ability, talents, and gifts and how they actually form a body that's able to move into function. And, and when I read that, I was just like, wow, how, how beautifully put that was and, and how strongly put that was in, in the form of a church or in the form of a church body. That was something that really caused me to read it over and over again, to, to just to kind of, um, kind of remind us, remind myself that no matter how big you are, not a church of numbers, we're a church of acts, and there's big bodies, small bodies, but they all operate the same, right? Whether you're the size of a child or whether you're a, a giant, <laughs> you have to move. You have to, you have to do, you have to operate, and it's all operating the same. And it has to operate in the same way that, that God had, had intended it to. You know, that's where a lot of, uh, uh, not so much arguments, but thoughts of where did the church really begin? Did it, did it begin at Mount Sinai with the Jews and the laws? Or did it begin over on Mount Zion? And that's for years, that's always been, you know, a thought and an argument. And well, I mean, the truth be told, it, yeah, it... It assembled at Sinai, but it, all it did was merge to Zion. Simple as that, right? God is the, it's, it's, it's the same. He just merged it from one area to the other. The Jews had the laws, and that was, to them, that was their greatest gift. And then we had the sacrifice of Christ, and so on and so forth, that, that brings us to everything that we're going to be reading here through the book of Acts. Look at verse 4 real quick. He said, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father. Uh, wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, which is with us, he's in, he's in us, he's upon us, right, is, is where he's at, in us and upon us. And so before Christ died, he told the disciples that I'm not going to leave you as orphans, guys. Uh, I'm, I'm sending one that will be with you and one, and one that will guide you. And now the very first thing that Christ did when he appeared to them, if anyone remembers, when he came back to them, he says, peace be with you. And then the interesting thing was is he blew on them. He, he, he blew on all of them as they were there. And he, they're probably thinking, like, what is this? Right? And he says, I give you the Holy Spirit. He blew the Holy Spirit into them. And, and then the last time I taught, I mentioned, I, I remember this, uh, when we were in the book of Jonah, I mentioned the Hebrew word for the, uh, for the word spirit, which is ruah. And, and the amazing thing uh, for the Greek, it's, it's uh, pneuma, which 
means the same exact thing, which means breath or wind, which is what is translated. Spirit means breath or wind in both languages. So there you have it. As Christ breathed his breath, the Holy Spirit right onto them. Perfect illustration of what, how, the, how the languages and how it was put together says. And that's what I meant also that Christ, he's the gift that keeps on giving. He brought the Holy Spirit with him as he said he would. He gave him the Holy Spirit. Now he told the disciples, now I want you to hang out in Jerusalem. Don't go running off just yet. In chapter 2, we will see what happens in its entirety. But basically, they're, they're waiting for about 10 days is what it is. He didn't give them a time, but what it comes down to is they waited 10 days there. And, and then he showed. It was after that, throughout the years, that we've seen the attributes of the Holy Spirit. Right? That we've really seen the attributes. And we can see that he, what he does. What does the Holy Spirit do? Right? And, and if, I asked, if I asked people in their, in their outlooks and from their experiences, what does the Holy Spirit do? And maybe the outlook might be from what they've seen in their own personal lives, which is exactly what, is what he does, is he works in us in, in the needs, uh, in what he sees fit. He, we can see that he, well, he teaches, he guides, he speaks, he enlightens, he commands, he intercedes, he sends people. He comforts, as I might have mentioned, he comforts, he works. He works, and his ministry is never-ending. And, and that's only a handful of the things that the Holy Spirit, I'm sure I left out a, uh, much more. But these are, <coughs> excuse me, these are a few of the things that the Holy Spirit, that we know through the Bible, does. Right? And so, which is why, he's, why is he so important, you know? Uh, the, one, the one unforgivable sin that Christ mentioned was blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What is the one unforgivable sin? It is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that's pretty scary. Right? And, and, and he said it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 32, from the words of Christ himself. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the unfor uh, unforgivable sin. And what is that? Well, that's telling him where to go when he's been tugging at your heart. Right? That, that is considered blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I want nothing to do with you. And that just really just angers the Lord when he sees and hears that. When you decided to give your hearts to the Lord and you felt that tug to go ahead and go do it, well, guess what? That was the Holy Spirit. Uh, when, when you're about to do something bad and you feel like something in the back of your mind, I, no, I better not do this, I better not do this, that's the Holy Spirit. It's not someone's scruples as they like to refer to or their conscience or their scruples that they grew up with. It was the Holy Spirit that's saying, don't do it, don't do it, is how he's speaking to us. The list goes on of how the Spirit works. Now, if I, may, if I may ask, how often do we feel Him in our lives or in our homes or within the church? If I might ask that in a, in a question for ourselves, maybe. Not to answer right now, but it's something to really think about. How often do we really feel Him in our lives? And, you know, when we invite Him, He will show. But we can also grieve Him as well, which is why repentance is always necessary in our lives. You know, I, people say, I've never felt the Spirit. How do I know what the Spirit feels like? You know, I can't, I can't even explain it. I felt the Holy Spirit on numerous occasions, and each time it was something of, uh, of difference. You know, I mean, every, some people say, oh, man, I fell on the floor and started shaking or something like that, you know, or I, I started doing this, and I'm like, I don't know about that, because that's never happened to me, and I'm so glad. Um, 
but it was something much more personal and loving. It was a feeling that I cannot explain. Right? And, and what's cool is, is I could sit here for minutes and I can actually, uh, I could remember a moment with every one of you where I felt like the Holy Spirit was amongst us through a conversation, through an event, or through something. I don't unfortunately have time to go through it all as much as I would like to, but I do have those moments with every one of you. And feel free afterwards to ask me what that was or whatever the case may be. But that was what I could say I've experienced with, with everyone here throughout the years. And the feeling I just can't explain because it's beyond our actual our comprehension sometimes. It's better than anything we can, that we can imagine. Right? So, as time goes on, I would imagine he's working harder than ever to bring people to God before the end times come. As I said, the Holy Spirit is always working. And we see the works of the Holy Spirit as, as, you know, people would say, well, what did the Holy Spirit accomplish? What exactly did he accomplish? Turn real quick to Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to, or, yeah, Acts chapter 2. We're going to get there in some time. Uh, This is a very long uh, chapter. But I just couldn't help but to look ahead here in chapter 2, verse 42. And I I do recommend marking this or highlighting this in your Bibles. I did. I should have highlighted this a long time ago, but during the study I highlighted it because I wanted to embed it. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he, as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That right there was the beginning of what we've seen, what the Holy Spirit has done. And, and I think of when I, when I think of church and when I think of, you know, Lord, what, you know, how did you want it? How should it be? And that right there was a very good a very good foundational start, right? Everyone had something in common. And it's just that as we look at one another, we think like, well, that's not true. You know, I like this kind of music. I like this kind of food. I like these movies or whatever the case may be, but that's not where he was going with it. We, we have something in common through him, which allows us to mend and, and to blend in with one another. I love it when I go somewhere. And, and with, with one of you guys and, and, or with whoever, and sometimes people can, will think that we're related, you know, in some way, shape, or form. Um, you know, I, Dave Vanderwall and I, I, I could remind you, but there was a time where, where that happened to us in a hospital. Um, I remember uh, one time uh, uh, going out to lunch with all the, all the kids, you know, and, uh, the, the, the young adults and stuff, and we went out to a, a teppanyaki place, and uh, the Korean waitress comes up to me, and Mimi and I, she's like, oh my gosh, are they, are they all yours? <laughs> there was like seven kids there, you know, in all these different age groups. And I thought to myself, I'm like, I thought like, like, how cool is that? That she actually thought that we were related. And it's, it wasn't anything because, you know, whether we look like one another, after a while, we just, we just mend into one another through relationship, through Christ. That's what he does. 
and that's the beauty of it, man. As, as mentioned, the church's start was when the, the church's start was the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Those were the two things that it started with, and and our prayers are are, are that the standard should still continue. Turn with me one more time again. I want to go to Ephesians chapter four because Paul said something uh, very enlightening as well. Uh, Ephesians chapter four. In verse 3, he says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, the grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave uh, gifts to many men. So to follow the path of the Spirit, we will we'll be pleasing to God, is what it comes down to. By following the path of the Spirit is what's pleasing to God. <coughs> so which is, again, the importance of the book of Acts, is we're seeing that. You know, you think the baptism... The baptism, you think baptism of water, you know, and, and a lot of people have argued, well, it's the only way we're going to be saved is, is through the baptism of water. Well, here's, here's the interesting thing. There's that old saying that blood is thicker than water. And it was the blood of Christ that saved us. The water is just icing on the cake, right? That's, that's what it comes down to. Blood is definitely thicker than water, and the blood of Christ is even thicker than everyone else's blood as far as I'm concerned. And, and the water was... was Again, all that was was a recognition of our past life. Uh, of, not a recognition of it, but getting rid of it, if you will. Right? And, and recognizing ourselves with Christ. But it was, it was through the blood that, that, he, uh, that he saved us. The baptism, again, to dip and to emerge out of the water and come up. Uh, and I love, I love mentioning, whenever I've baptized or seen somebody baptized, do you ever look at the, the, the look on their face after they've come up out of the water? You, you know, you take pictures of a before and after, and there they are being held, and then, you know, and then you get that picture of them as they're coming up, and you see, like, this, this smile and this new look on their face that just really enlightening, really just bright, you know, and it's just like, man, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit out the anything of that sort he, as well. He emerged himself on everyone there, right? And, and it's, I, as I thought, man, I was just studying this, and I'm like, do the same thing. Do the same thing with, with, with all of us in our houses and in our, in our church. No matter how the number, no matter how big or small, right? I mean, what is that old saying? There's, there's strength in numbers? Okay, well, that's fine. Doesn't doesn't say strength in how many numbers, Right. That's the that's the key. It doesn't matter the strength in numbers because there wasn't many that started out here. There wasn't a whole lot that started out, but they continue to stay strong. Right. They just continued. Let's look at verse uh, verse six. It said, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in, the, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
And so as the disciples ask, when are you going to restore the kingdom? Uh, we ask that as well. We've been asking that as well for a long time ourselves. And as soon as Israel became its own nation, which was prophecy, that's when, oh, last day, the end days are here. When did that happen? 1947, if I remember correctly. I think it was 1947 is when, is when Israel uh, became its own nation again that was prophesied back in the book of Revelation. So, 1947 or 48, look it up and correct me if I was wrong. There you have it. So, as soon as they've seen that, okay, we're living in the last days. We don't know when that is. And Christ reminded these guys here, you are not to know when that is. Right? And so, we have many people out there advertising that when the end of the world has come. I don't know how many times I've seen somebody driving around with their vans saying, oh, end of the world is going to come on October 15th, 2000, whatever. And then, well, nothing happens. Oh, let me get that right here. And then they come back on. Actually, it's going to be this day. So keep the money coming. <laughs> right? And then that's what, they, that's what they do. That's what they do. And people continue to do it. Christ said it right here. It is not for you to know. Only I know. I'm coming like a thief in the night. So, you know, be ready is what it is. And I've always wondered if, if we knew these certain things, if we knew when the Lord was coming back, People would probably uh, live however they wanted and then started to serve him right before time is up, is what I've always thought in the back of my mind. You know, this is, this is at least one possibility. And if we knew what day the Lord was coming back, what would you be doing? Right? What would you be doing if you knew if the Lord was coming back? If, if he showed up right now and said, all right, guys, I'm coming back in one month on this day, what would you do? You'd probably make everything right. We'd probably serve the Lord as much as possible. Ask yourselves that, I guess, if you knew, uh, if anything. I mean, I've had to ask, my, what would I do? I mean, that would scare me for one. It's like, oh, man, I've only got this much time. He doesn't even give us that. He's going to come like that, like I said, within a, faster than a New York second. <laughs> it's going to come out of nowhere. We won't know. Which really, again, it leads to the one thing that Christ was setting into their hearts, which was faith. That's what he was setting in their hearts is faith and simple faith. And uh, faith is, is what he said, where that many prophecies were given to us to know, but there was never a time. He's given us so many prophecies, but he has never given us a time. Scary, but I, I kind of see what he's doing here. I see what he's doing. And so what was important was, again, the acts that Christ had commanded them to do, to be witnesses to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what was important was, again, these things. The quality of time is vital, especially not knowing how much is given. If we knew everything, if we actually knew everything, we wouldn't be relying on the Lord anymore. Right? It's exactly what it would come down to. If we actually knew everything that there was to know, we would not rely on him. That's how, that's how Satan fooled Adam and Eve in the garden. You'll, if you eat from this tree, you're going to have all the knowledge of God. Oh, really? Okay. Well, let's get, and sure enough, they, they fell. They fell for it. I don't know if you guys ever met people. You probably dealt with some people over the years. Oh, that guy thinks he knows everything. We've all dealt with those kind of people, I think. And a lot of times those people who have that demeanor don't have a relationship with the Lord. Right. Look at look at atheistic scientists, Athe atheistic scientists who have been able, who have never 
been up in space, but yet they've been able to create theories and they've been able to create certain things that, that people actually follow and believe. Uh, you know, I, I pray for, what's his name, Stephen Hawking. You know, as, as you know, if you've ever seen him, he's confined to a wheelchair. He can't speak. He has to, to speak to, through a, some sort of device. He's an atheist. He's a scientist. He's considered a genius with a, an IQ of 140-something, which is right there in that high genius level. And yet he was able to write all these books on science, on how all this stuff really happened and created, but yet he's never been up there. He's been confined to a wheelchair, unfortunately. And I feel for him. I pray for him. But I think about it on how many people believe him and never look at the fact that he has never left that chair. But yet he's able to do this. Now you look at science books and you look at the, the Word of God. The Word of God's never changed. I don't want to ask everybody their ages here on, on when the last time we were all in school. But why don't we all come together and compare our science books and we will see that every one of our science books have been updated. Our science books have been updated over a period of years. They, the Word of God has never been updated, nor should it be. Right? So that's what we're going to see here, again, is, is the inerrancy of it all. And, and I, look at the, I look at time, you know, Christ, he spent three years with these guys only. Only three years and with them. And as, as they were younger men, and they, they lived to be older. And, uh, and still, to this day, you know, we're all waiting on what the apostles asked for. When are you coming to restore? And, and as they were with the Lord at a younger age, they, they carried on for, to be very old. I think it was, what, John the Apostle was the last surviving uh, apostle who lived to be in his 90s. So he was the youngest of the group. And he was the last uh, surviving of the group, and still nothing has happened. He got to see the revelation, right? So we got to see the revelation. So again, when we see, or when we think of the Holy Spirit, how often do we call upon him? Do we know when he's here? You know, uh, Spurgeon, said, Spurgeon said something really neat. He says that, that when you go to church, and if you start to look for flaws, you're going to find them. But... If you go to church and you seek the Holy Spirit, you'll find him too. And what he said made so much sense. Because what is, what is the hearts when we come to church? How do we walk in when we come to church with our hearts towards the Lord, towards the Spirit? Are we coming to seek the Spirit? Are we coming in thinking like, okay, well, I'm just going to come because it's the right thing to do. Right? And, and, that's, and that's where I've seen the power of the Holy Spirit through the book of Acts. That why the people came in what they were seeking. What's in our heart? You know, again, what spoke to me a long time ago is what, what Jesus said, you know, about don't be judging people harshly because you too will be judged in the same manner that you judged others. Right? And, and so, um, that's, that's again where the Holy Spirit comes into play to help us not do that. To help us not do that. Now, granted, I probably give you plenty up here to to throw darts at <laughs> yeah, There's plenty of flaws that are visible. And in the back of your mind, you probably could point them all out, you know, and I, I give you lots to work with. Uh, but the key is, is, is to have that, char that heart transplant and, and not look at those things for myself and others as well. And then to not look at those things. So what do we come in with our hearts, you know? What's that Capital One commercial? What's in your wallet? 
Well, you know, what's in your heart when we're, when we're coming into church to seek the Lord? What's in your mind? The two main operating uh, organs in our body that operate is our minds and our hearts. And the Holy Spirit always aims right at the heart is what he does. So we have to keep in mind that we are blessed to be able to come uh, here to worship the Lord. If some places around the world have to sneak around uh, to the hidden churches. And, and the irony is, is they're praying for us. If you probably, I don't know if you've heard before, the churches, the underground church in China that is not allowed to have church is praying for us here in the United States. Uh, North Korea has them. I've heard of people that have gone to the underground churches in Cuba, completely blown away with what they saw, felt, and had with the Holy Spirit. And they're praying for us here in the United States, where we have the freedom to go wherever we want. For now, Lord willing, that we can, it, it continues. And we have these freedoms. Again, in India, another, you know, another church uh, pastor over there calls a well-known pastor out here. And he's in tears because if he, hear, he hears about another pastor that had fallen, fallen to adultery. And he's literally calling him, asking him why, as he's bawling like a child. And, and that, that's what kind of amazed me was the fact that he's just like he's he's got to the point in his life to where he's wondering how and why these things happen. And that's only because he, he's, he must have become so close to the Lord. He's no longer seeing and understanding what's wrong because people condone what's wrong anymore. I've had conversations where I, I, I might go on a, uh, a tangent about something and I'll hear someone say, well, that's normal. I'm the wrong person to say that's normal to. I've never really considered myself normal. I don't know what that is. <laughs> so, but the thing is, I, as a child, I had the same demeanor. I grew up in a nasty town uh, 15 miles outside of Los Angeles. And if somebody got shot in a drive-by shooting, my demeanor was, that's normal. But it wasn't until I almost got shot myself at the age of 16 years old. And then my demeanor changed. It's no longer normal. You know... Seeing graffiti on the walls. Oh, well, that's normal. You know, what's a, what's a city without a little graffiti on it? That's the, that's the mindset that comes into play. That's not a church. Of, that's not being that, the acts of the Lord, you know. I, my, the back of my head hurts uh, because of how many times the Lord has smacked me back. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I've got a lot of hand marks in the back of my neck and head, you know. And, and, and uh, just what, what really irks me is that it just took too long. <laughs> it should have been a long time ago. And so thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be here to, oh, to be able to feel it still. You know, some months back we were in, uh, I did a study with the, uh, with, with in, uh, the young adults in the, uh, I think yeah, Michael was there for that, weren't you, for the book of Revelation and the seven churches. I did, a, I did an extensive book study in the, in the uh, churches of Revelation, the seven churches. And I felt like the Lord pointed me out to do this. I've never done this before. I've never thought of it. But what we did was we, we studied each church, their attributes, their, their, their background and everything. And at that time, there was, there was hundreds of churches around, but God only spoke to seven of them, and they were all located there in Asia Minor of Turkey. Because those were the churches that actually represent the churches of today. Out of hundreds of churches, he spoke to seven, and you can see how they represent today's churches. So at the end of that study, after the end of the seventh, uh, the seventh church, I had everyone write down... When they got home, I said, I want you to go home and I want you to think about what you did during the week, 
How often did you pray? How often did you study? How often did you go to church? What did you do? What did you do during the week? And be honest with yourself. Write it all down. Observe it all. And then take a look at the seven churches and, and see which one that you might be attending. And I, I didn't ask anybody, so where are you at? I didn't ask because that was for them to realize. If you want to tell me, by all means, go. See, here the key is, is that the Church of Philadelphia was the one that, that, that was right on. And that's where we all wanted to go to. You don't want to be in Laodicea where it's lukewarm. You don't want to be in Sardis where, where, it was, uh, where some people look alive but they're dying. You surely didn't want to be in Pergamos where Satan's throne was set up, where one of the most paganistic areas of the, in the world was going on at that time. That's definitely not where I'd hoped that you said that you belong there by the will of the Lord. Again, it's amazing how that sense, and when, when you look at that, you think to yourself, like, man, this is where I belong. Oh, boy, here comes, the, here comes the smack to the back of the head again, right? See, here's Philadelphia. If you think of, if you think of a target sign on the, that, a target sign on the back of the screen. And everybody always wants to aim for the bullseye. See, I look at the Church of Philadelphia. It's right there, that little small bullseye in the middle of the, all the other circles. And then if anybody here has ever been shooting before... We all go for the bullseye, but when we hit the outer circles, the outer circles are, are they're, they're, they're irrelevant. The outer circles are irrelevant, unfortunately. And that's where God was speaking to these churches and where they were falling short. But the cool thing was that every single church, he offered them, uh, he offered them a reward for their accomplishments, even to the worst of the worst, to the best of the best. He said, if you accomplish, if you, if you make it through, this is what you're going to get. Right? Don't be like the church of Ephesus, uh, uh, who was losing their first love. You know, I mean, we don't love Christ, then we aren't a church. We're not a church if we don't love Christ, you know. I don't know what we'd be. Organization, Boys and Girls Club of America? <laughs> I don't know. We definitely wouldn't be his church, and therefore, it puts us in a bad place. Now, let's look at what's said here in, in verse 9. He said, after he said this, he was taken up before their, their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to, into the sky as he was going. And when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk uh, from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, James son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the, woman, the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So a Sabbath day walk, I guess that's a very short walk because you weren't allowed to go very far on a Sabbath day. So they didn't walk very far that day. So now you see me, now you don't. That's the last thing that Jesus said to him, right? One more time. He says, but you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then imagine that right there. He's taken up from your very eyes. Last words he said to them. He didn't say goodbye. 
carry on. He, he's, he was short, uh, short and sweet and said, here we go. This is what I have for you. It's time to go. Right? And so at this time, he, they got to see him off in a glorious departure. Now, Jesus said to them before he was crucified that he would go away, and that would be a good thing, he said. How is that a good thing? I'm, I'm going to have us turn real quick to John chapter 16. Just a, a few pages back from where we're at. And I say this just so that way I read actually the words of Christ and everything that he's saying because we're seeing all of the things come true. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 5. He says, Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is, good, it is uh, for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regards to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regards in regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and that is why I said, to the, uh, why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me again. Well, we know that's true. We just read it. Right. Jesus just said uh, what everything that happened came true. But when the angels came back to him, those two men in white were the angels. He gave them a little prophetic uh, uh, a vision here that he's coming back. A little insight. That he's, he's going to return in the same manner. Uh, C.S. Lewis said one time that whenever you go to a play and the author comes on the stage, you know that the play is over. Well, that's exactly what Revelation is as well. When the author of our lives appears onto the, onto the stage, you know the play is over. So C.S. Lewis said something that was very, uh, very true. And I also wonder, too, if this was the same vision that Daniel had 500 years before the birth of Christ. Uh, I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there. Um, as, Christ, uh, as Christ ascended through the clouds, uh, Daniel uh, chapter 713, he says, In my vision at night I looked. And there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, all nations, and, um, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now that was from, that was from the prophet Daniel, 500 years before Christ was even born seen him coming into the clouds just as these guys are watching as well as he's as he's as he's leaving and so i was just like man the bible if i remember correctly has over 300 prophecies of of his coming in the old testament just in the old testament that's a lot that's quite a bit and jesus said blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe john chapter 20 what's neat to see is that after 2000 years people are still coming to the lord even though they haven't seen him. We're still, it's still happening, thankfully. And, and it's the work of the Spirit. 
So do we carry on our relationship with him as, as he's not standing next to us? You know, that's the question here. Do, because we, we can't see him, do we walk with him still? See, as people at times, we have an out of sight, out of mind demeanor about, our, about us, you know. Um, and we're always reminded that where, he, where Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in prayer, I'm in your presence. But do we walk with him? Do we, do we think about the fact that I can't see him, so therefore I don't really talk very much to him. I, I, I tended to kind of uh, stray away a little more. You know, we, we become very reliant on accountability with other people, which is great. You know, but if we can't be accountable to ourselves, how will anybody else ever hold us accountable? You know, and we can't be accountable to, God, to the Lord while by ourselves. It just it serves no, no purpose. We're not always amongst each other. We're not always amongst people. And, and so we, we have to be reliant on him. Right? And so as the Lord... As the Lord left and went into his kingdom, he left us with the task of not just coming to church and then, and then just go home. He, he wanted us to continue to be a witness after we leave, after we leave this place of meeting, to be a witness continually of wherever we're at. That was the task and the goal here, right? And so it's, it's, it's amazing what he did. Uh, what we need to remember is that, yeah, we can't see him, but there will be a day that will come where we will. We will see him. And verse 14, it says they gathered constantly in prayer, right? What, what the Holy Spirit did was not just cause others to believe, but to fall in love with him. A lot of people believe him, but don't love him. And that, too, is another, is another thing, too, that, that, uh, that, that seems to be lacking. As I close, I heard a serious truth about a movement with God. It said a great movement starts with a founder who really knows the Lord Jesus Christ intimately and closely. But do you know what? Do you know what? Uh, how movements die? It's when the followers start uh, following the founder. Get that? As, as, he said, as that was said, right? A great foundation or a great uh, movement starts with a founder who really knows the Lord. But then again, it dies when the followers start following the founder instead. Look at Ephesus. Right? When Paul told everyone, as soon as I leave, savage wolves are going to come in and take over and scatter your flock. And then in the book of Revelation, he says, I'm going to take your, I'm going to take your lampstand from you because you've lost your first love. He wasn't kidding. And look at today. There's a lot of movements out there. There's a lot of movements out there. The one I'm very familiar with that for many years have been very strong and very good, but as soon as the founder passed away, now it's starting to disintegrate. It's very true what is said. It's not about any, it's not about any person. We should never come to a church. The most strongest of pastors always have said, you should never come to a church because of myself or any other pastor. It's a, it's a, it's a bad move. I've seen people leave because, oh, well, so-and-so's leaving, I'm going too. Um, I met a gentleman who um, met, he, he told me he, uh, he knew a guy who, uh, you guys know who Francis Chan is? Very, very strong uh, Bible teacher from uh, Simi Valley or uh, Silicon Valley in California who started a cornerstone church out there. And he told me that, um, he's like, yeah, I had a neighbor of mine that sold his house and sold everything he had just to go over there and go to this guy's church. I don't blame him. He's great. 
But shortly after he did that, Francis Chan stepped down, you know, and I thought to myself, like, well, gee, now what are you going to do? You know what Francis Chan said? He was like, why did you leave? Why did you leave your baby? He says, I'll tell you why. He goes, because I was hearing too much of the word Francis and not enough of the Holy Spirit, is what he said. And I think to myself that this poor guy, did he stay there? Did he, did he move with the Holy Spirit? Or did he go because of Francis Chan? Interesting. I, I wish I knew what he did. He asked me before, he's like, have you ever been to church and you ever focused so much just on the pastor as he's speaking? No, I haven't. I haven't. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of a handful of them that, that are great teachers, but I will never look at them because as soon as you do that, then you find out they, they, they fall somewhere down the line. You know, and, and so... It's, it's, not what the, it's not what the Lord intended. And that's not what he taught any apostle or pastor to do, is to take the glory for, uh, from him. So I pray that we will know the Holy Spirit and we will see him work in our lives and in our church. And so at this time, I want to welcome everyone to the book of Acts. And that the, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit will paint for us the picture of our humble and powerful beginnings. And that, that one day, everywhere, that we'll all return once again to what he intended it to be. A, a, a church that, that's focused on him. And that foundation that, that's, uh, that's going to be strengthened through him. So may we be those pillars that help hold up the living stones and all the other things that the church has been built with. And... Uh, May we just, again, may we just go through this book with, uh, with a lot of enlightenment. So, with the help of the Spirit, we can do that. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, Lord, uh, we, just, uh, we need to recognize, Lord, that, that, that we're nothing, Lord, without you and your presence. Lord, you are, the, uh, you are the author and the finisher of our lives. And, Lord, we rely on you each day that when we leave our houses, when we leave the church, when we wake up and go to sleep, Lord, it is you who controls what's done. I pray, Lord, for a strengthening and an anointing on everyone here, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would just enter into us all. May we leave here, Lord, fulfilled with you. And may we be strengthened through the Spirit, Lord, to be able to leave here as witnesses that shine bright, Father. So we thank you now. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.